Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking why prenups are for lovers with Aaron Thomas. Yeah, so I'm guessing that the title of this episode may have come as a shock to a lot of folks out there. <laughs> if you've been listening to the show for a while, you may have picked up on the fact that uh, Joel and I were, were not actually big fans of the prenuptial agreement, but maybe our guest today can change our minds. We are joined by Aaron Thomas. Aaron is a graduate of Harvard Law, uh, who also happens to live in our old neighborhood back in Atlanta, little EAV shout out there. Uh, Aaron has decades of experience and his clients range from NBA Hall of Famers to the little couple that you know who lives down the street. He founded prenups.com and he's recently published a new book, The Prenup Prescription, where he argues that a, a proper prenup can not only protect but actually improve your relationship. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, really happy to be here. Yeah, no, we're excited to have this conversation, Aaron. And like Matt alluded to, it's been something that when we get asked about it, we we don't necessarily have the same take. But I will say I was um, convinced in many ways, reading your book and, and hearing what you your arguments. But the first question we ask everyone who comes on this podcast, we want to know what your craft beer equivalent is. Matt and I, we like to splurge on tasty craft beer that can be expensive, but we're also doing the right thing. We're saving and investing simultaneously. So what's that splurge look like in your life? Yeah, yeah. For me and my wife, uh, our big splurge would definitely be travel. We set money aside for it specifically every year. 
um, try to really make an effort to take trips. And we, you know, are frugal in a lot of other ways. We drive our cars until they're dragging down the street. And, you know, we're not big shoppers. Yes. But, yes. You know, I'm a brown bagger, you know, when it comes to lunch. But uh, travel, yeah, that's our that's our one big thing. Aaron is a man after my own heart, <laughs> taking those leftovers to work. That's right. <laughs> Matt, literally, that's his number one money-saving tip is eat your leftovers, right? It's just such a, there are so many unnecessary expenses that occur. And maybe a little bit less as more folks are working from home. But you go out to the office. And then you are trading the most affordable way to enjoy lunch, which is eating the food that you've already purchased and that's already been prepared for you, to the most expensive way, which yeah. is going out to lunch with folks. But I love it, Aaron. Thanks for, <laughs> for sharing yeah. that. And let's go ahead and just completely dive into talking about prenups today. I'm actually not sure what this says about the romantic sensibilities of Americans, but there's a growing acceptance of prenups. Uh, I'm sure you probably saw and have seen this data, but there is a Harris poll. They found that exactly 50% of Americans now say that they at least somewhat support the use of prenups, which has risen quickly uh, compared to previous years. Millennials are five times more likely to get a prenup than uh, 12 years ago. Why do you think this perception is shifting so fast? Why are folks just so much more open to the idea of prenups? Yeah, I, I think there's probably a few things at play here. Um, one is for millennials and, you know, kind of the, the cohort of people who are getting married today, they saw their parents go through probably the biggest, you know, the highest divorce rate period of the 1980s here in the U.S. and saw the strife that came from that, all of the, you know, money spent, um, you know, how long the litigation lasted and are saying, you know, no way am I going to, you know, end up in that kind of position that I saw, you know, my parents, older generations, and, and then I think there's also just kind of like a, a difference in a generational difference in the way that they look at marriage and that, you know, not that it's not romantic or not that they're, you know, expecting to get divorced, certainly, but that, you know, practicality kind of wins out and that it's just kind of the smart thing to do. A lot of the stigma um, has resided when it comes to prenups. Part of that has to do with the fact that young folks are getting married later and later in life, right? And so they've built up more assets. So when you get married at 26 versus 36, there's a there's a big difference in kind of what you've been able to achieve in your career. Maybe you've got a rental property or two. You've certainly got more money, hopefully, <laughs> socked away in your retirement account. So does, does that kind of change in stage, life stage of when people are getting married? Does that impact kind of how, I don't know, how they feel about prenups and their willingness to partake in one? Totally. That's, that is a huge uh, part of the difference. You know, um, when you look at kind of the difference of last generation and this generation, like you said, um, it is right about 10 years uh, difference in the age that we're getting married in today's day and age than our parents, our grandparents' generation. So, you know, in the 1960s, when a couple got married, um, the average age of marriage was about 21 years old. And a couple back then uh, had very simple finances. So they were likely to have, you know, zero, maybe one bank account between the two of them. Uh, credit cards didn't really exist. 401ks hadn't been invented yet. You could still work your way through school. So there wasn't kind of the six figures of student loans type situation. So, you know, the couple getting married in, you know, say the mid-1960s or 1970s, uh, it was like a startup. You know, you're starting from completely from scratch and two people are coming together uh, and moving in together and, and building their life together. Whereas you compare that to today's couples who get on married on average at age like 30 and each spouse is likely to have 
four or five bank accounts, three or four credit cards, uh, a retirement account or two, a car with a loan against it, maybe a condo with some equity, maybe a small business, right? And so it's so much more complex. You know, if, if the couple in the 60s was a startup company, the couple getting married today is like a corporate merger, right? And you just, you wouldn't do something of that magnitude without taking a little more seriously and putting some more thought and planning into it. Which I totally get. And and I'll, I'll readily admit, I think that's a part of my own personal bias. The fact that my wife and I, we were, she was 21. She, we were very young, had basically nothing to our names and everything that we have created. It's, it's something that we did together. Let's, we want to talk a little bit about marriage. I guess that's what prenups are all about (laughs) (laughs) to a certain extent, but, but marriage just generally speaking, like you talk about just the legal realities of it. And I'm curious if any part of you just thinks that like going through the legal marriage process, like is, does any part of you feel that that's kind of outdated or that things are better off now that fewer folks are getting married? I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah. I, I think my, I think my views on this have evolved a little bit. Um, you know, I always looked at marriage kind of, you know, traditionally, my, my parents just celebrated uh, 57 years together. Uh, my wife's parents wow. are still together. Um, and so, you know, I've always, you know, personally looked as that marriage is like a lifelong commitment as a positive thing for society and for myself personally. Um, I'll tell you, though, you know, being a divorce lawyer, uh, will scare you a little bit <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> marriage. I mean, I started practicing family law, um, you know, many, many years ago. And after a few years of watching what divorce really does to people and does to families, um, I started warning friends and family and anybody who would listen against marriage. You know, I, not the commitment, you know, sure, get committed, you know, have a, have a big party, wear a white dress, change your last name, move in together, but don't go through the actual legal relationship, you know, the legal step of getting married because people don't know what they're signing up for, you know, what the legal, you know, aspect of it is. Um, Obviously, I've, you know, changed my view on it. I'm now, you know, happily married uh, myself. Um, And um, I think that there is a way to do it correctly. I just think that it is much more complex than it used to be. So what are people signing up for? That they don't know they're signing up for then, I guess. Because it, I think you're right. Like, re- reading your book, thinking through all this stuff, I was like, why do people get married in the first place then? And, and you're like, you're right. Part of me wants to wants to say all these other benefits of a lifelong partnership, but why does it have to be marriage, at least in the, the state-specific sense, the fact that you're signing up for all these kind of legal obligations? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what, what getting married is, and I call it the biggest financial decision that you'll ever make. You know, a lot of people think it's, you know, buying a house or starting a business, but getting married touches so many parts of your financial life. It really is the biggest financial decision you'll ever make. And from the day that you get married forward, Every dollar that you earn, that very first paycheck that you get after the date of marriage is considered marital property. Um, And so it no longer belongs just to you. Everything belongs to you as a couple. And this, it really doesn't matter whose name is on a bank account, whose name is on a piece of property, whose name is on a retirement account or a credit card. It's all considered, you know, one pile of finances from the day that you get married. And a lot of people don't figure that out until they are in you know, unfortunately, a divorce lawyer's office years down the road, and they're saying, what do you mean he wants half of my retirement? What do you mean she wants half of the house? I, I kept it in my name only, and I paid the mortgage every month. And I would have to explain to people that, well, once you were married, that was no longer just your money. It was 
y'all's money <laughs> from the South. It was, you know, that's money belonged mm-hmm. to the two of you. Um, and so uh, there was a lot of unintended consequences and things that people own prior to marriage getting commingled accidentally. Um, and so, you know, people are really in need of like some clarity in terms of what it is they're signing for, sure, I, signing up for in my I, Yeah, I, I think there probably does need a, a good bit more counseling pre-marital counseling, mm-hmm. right? Where folks do, they are able to enter into those relationships with their eyes wide open. And it's interesting too, though, how you've sort of changed your tune a little bit. And I'm curious if you, if you're a fan of marriage now that you are happily married and you're like, <laughs> well, I've got, you know, I got to root for the home team, right? <laughs> so, um, so there's that. But then I'm curious too, have you seen the uh, Melissa Kearney? So she's an economist and a lot of research has come out recently regarding just the power, the the advantage that two parent households have in particular when it comes to raising up children, right? It's, and it's not only it's not only like a financial advantage, it's also kids don't get in trouble at school, they're less likely to be arrested, they're they're more likely to actually complete school. So some of those behavioral issues kind of melt away a little bit as well, uh, because I feel like, that, you know, faced with this new research and data, which surprisingly there hasn't been a ton of up until recently, it, it kind of, in my mind, puts uh, marriage in particular in a new light. What are your, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I am familiar with Kearney's work, the, the new book about the two-parent household and all the advantages yeah, that yeah. come from that. I mean, I think a lot of this we know um, kind of anecdotally and intuitively how many advantages there are. But seeing the data, it really is compelling. And, you know, my kind of reluctance when it came to marriage didn't have anything to do with, you know, being scared of the lifelong commitment and all the advantages that come from an intact household. I wanted those things for myself. It was really fear of messing it up. It was fear of ending up in a divorce. And, you know, in my view, a messy divorce was best avoided at pretty much any cost. You know, I don't think that's that controversial of a statement to say that you should do whatever right. you can to avoid a messy divorce. And, you know, there's two ways to do it. Right. One is not to get married. And two is try, to try very, very hard to keep your marriage together. And then, you know, a third would be, you know, put yourself in a position so that if your marriage does come to an end, that it is not kind of the expensive nightmare year and a half of litigation in a very public courtroom Mm -hmm. that I witnessed as, you know, a divorce litigator. Yeah. I mean, the older I get, the more I've seen couples that I thought I would have like bet money (laughs) early on. There's no way that that marriage is going to dissolve. And things happen, right? And it's uh, it's really sad to watch as a friend, but it's also sobering, right? To say like I'm doing my best here in my marriage, but um, and and I'm hoping and praying, right, that like we're able to stick it out for the long run, just like that's what you want, Aaron. But you also see the sad reality of kind of what happens in our culture, and and it's not half of divorces, but it's somewhere close to pe- uh, half of marriages that end in divorce. So I guess my question to you is, what do you do on the front end, right? The uh, getting financially naked sort of thing at the very beginning. What sort of things need to be discussed as you're dating, as you're like working towards engagement, thinking about marriage, starting to talk about that stuff? What needs to be put on the table on on the front end? Yeah, yeah. Great question. I am. And that's where you have to start is at the very beginning, you know, before you even get married. And I am an advocate of full disclosure. Um, Due diligence is what a lawyer might call it, right? Um, Where uh, (laughs) you get completely, you know, financially naked uh, with your spouse, um, which is sometimes more difficult than getting physically naked uh, with with your your partner. But um, by literally putting everything on the table um, in writing, in black and white, 
That means creating a net worth statement for yourself and for your spouse so that there are no surprises trading that information. And I find that just that step alone, you know, number one, it's something that a lot of couples haven't done because there's there's no kind of natural time to say, hey, by the way, I've got 20 grand of credit card debt or, you know, I haven't saved as much for retirement <laughs> as I wish I had. But um, it's kind of, you know, you get a little bit of amnesty because, OK, we're planning our life together. We need to, you know, be completely transparent in terms of what we're bringing in. But it will also spawn what I think are very necessary conversations about um, your habits, you know, how you view money, um, what your kind of relationship was money growing up in your household. Um, you know, do you like to carry debt on credit cards? Do you pay everything off, you know, um, uh, month to month? Uh, what's your investment strategy? Um, and, you know, we talked about how much more complex people's finances are when they get married because we're getting married older. But the other aspect of that is we're coming in with a decade or more of financial habits that we've built up on our own since we left our parents' household. And sometimes that can be right. the more tricky thing to combine than just the bank accounts and, and the credit cards. Yeah, I mean, kind of, I guess on that note, this is uh, kind of earlier on in your book, but you say the financial d dynamics within a marriage actually dictate the personal dynamics of that marriage. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yes. The, you know, how your, your financial structure is set up can say a lot about what your marriage looks like. And so, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I did a divorce for a couple where uh, the husband um, worked, had a good job, made, you know, 200 grand a year, and his wife was home uh, helping raise their two children. Um, and he made that kind of money. He made 200 grand a year, and he gave her an allowance of $300 a month. And without knowing anything else about that couple, you could probably intuit some right other aspects of, the of their you know, this, relationship. Yeah, the word allowance doesn't sound great when we're talking about a husband-spouse <laughs> relationship yeah. there, right? Exactly, Not exactly. Good. I mean, the, it, it was this really um, unequal power dynamic. Uh, she felt powerless. She felt trapped. He was lording over her. And, you know, if there's one thing that I've learned, it's, you know, two spouses living in the same household, but in different socioeconomic classes is a recipe for disaster. That is that is not going to work. It just feels so weird, even just the way I mean, everything about what you said about that couple yeah. felt bad. <laughs> the allowance, the actual amounts, the fact that there might be a couple and they're in essentially different classes yeah. does not. It's going to breed resentment. Something about that doesn't seem healthy. Real quick, for sure. I know, too, that you talk about how different states have different rules when it comes to marriage and when it comes to divorce. And uh, one of the things, actually, that brought me, because I came into this conversation a little more skeptical about prenups, but one of the things that brought me around the most was that you basically argue for the fact that we all have a prenup, even if we didn't sign one. And it's the divorce laws in our state. It's the default, essentially, that we're going to come up against no matter what. So, I don't know, it, it seems to me that coming up with our own bespoke prenup is just a way to create a more set, fair set of rules than just kind of ah, throwing caution to the wind, whatever my state dictates or whatever. Like, talk to us too about this. In, in many states, it, it can be like what the judge had for breakfast, how they're feeling that day, how they determines how they rule and how the assets get split that is, up. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, if, if we define a prenup for a moment, you know, a prenup is really just, it's a set of rules that dictates how your finances are treated, yes, in the event of divorce, but also during the marriage itself. Um, but when it comes to you know, the possible end of your marriage and the division of assets, 
you are signing up for whatever your state's laws happen to be. And if you move, your contract is, has changed. And very few of us, if any of us, read the quote-unquote contract, the default prenup, meaning the laws of, the, of your state as it pertains to your assets, prior to getting married. Almost everyone only figured these things out in the context of a divorce. And so I think that the real, there is real power in deciding what works for you and your spouse and your marriage based on where you are in your life rather than accepting this kind of one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach. And you are putting yourself in the hands, potentially, where uh, of a judge who is randomly assigned to your case who could have views on life and marriage and family and money very, very different from yours. And I have seen firsthand, you know, situations where you walk into one courtroom and one judge looks at the situation and says, well, you earned all the money and what did you do? So, yeah, you're going to get 80 percent of the assets. And you go to the very next courtroom down the hall and and a judge says, I'm going to split everything in this in this case, 50 50, no matter what. And um, that that kind of uncertainty is just unnecessary when you can choose your own rules and kind of voluntarily commit yourself to a situation that you and your spouse personally agree to. It makes a lot of sense. I think you're making a good case for it, Aaron, <laughs> you know, like the ability to have rules that you know that you're playing by ahead of time. I think that can always be helpful. It makes me think of like sitting down to play, play one of the nerdy board games that we play. And then like all of a sudden halfway through the game. The rules shift? Well, that wouldn't be cool. Yeah. Uh, but being able to agree to a set list of rules, I guess, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. And we're going to continue talking here right after the break. We're going to ask you some, some more specifics about prenups, what it is that they govern, how they work. We'll get to all of that right after this. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so Woo-hoo. we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. 
you already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. <laughs> Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step -step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we're back from the break. We're still talking about prenups, prenuptial agreements, and we've got uh, expert Aaron Thomas with us here to dive into the details. And again, <laughs> talked about this a couple times, something I've been a little skeptical of, but man, I really am kind of coming around as um, uh, you know, listening to Aaron talk and, and just uh, reading his book has really kind of shown some light on the necessity of prenups in so many cases. But uh, Aaron, I have this question for you. Does the process of getting a prenup, does it ever come back to bite couples, right? It because I, I guess the, part of my my reason for not loving uh, prenups as a, a way forward is I don't know maybe it, it it starts off your marriage in this adversarial process is that like you're trying to protect what's yours it could come across as selfish or erode trust in that relationship does does just the act of getting a prenup ever kind of result in a failed relationship Yeah, I mean, great question. I think that a lot of it comes down to your approach. Right. And I will be the first to concede that some of the bad reputation that prenups have is deserved. Right. Because there are a lot of people who have used prenups to kind of solidify a disparity in wealth, to solidify a disparity in access to finances over the course of the relationship. You know, a prenup is really a contract like any other contract. There can be good terms that are, you know, that are great for your relationship, or there can be bad terms that are a huge red flag. So a lot of it is in your approach. Um, I think that, you know, if, if it is done as a collaborative process where you and your uh, partner come together and sit down and talk about what do you want your financial marriage to look like? You know, should you be transparent on the front end? Should you both have equal access to money during the relationship? Do you both have a say in kind of spending and investment decisions? Um, that and, and it, can you agree what would be fair if, you know, God forbid, the relationship comes to end? Can we agree what would be fair while we love each other, while communication is high, while we trust each other? Um, then it can be a real positive for your relationship. If the only thing you're doing is protecting what you had from your spouse going in, then, yeah, I can see that having a negative impact on your relationship. So, uh, 
you know, the devil's in the That's details. That's when it seems like the, the terms are bad, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> because if it's only there to protect you, it seems fairly one-sided. But I guess, like, my thoughts are, if you can agree to these terms, then is it necessary to have them down in a contract? Because a lot of what you actually talk about in your book, uh, just the, the actual prescription part of the prenup, are great things that we recommend for folks to do all the time, right? Like you're talking about uh, making financial goals for yourselves. You're talking about how it is that you're going to achieve those things. It's establishing healthy communication. It's just that you are doing it inside the bounds of a contract as opposed to, I guess, just a conversation that, in my mind, feels less, I don't know, less loving. I, don't, I guess when you, when you think about it from the standpoint of uh, counseling or goal setting or a couple's retreat, it's, to me, that seems more edifying as opposed to uh, the contract. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are a couple aspects um, to you know putting in writing that give it um, a market benefit over just having the conversation. You know, one is it's legally enforceable, right? That may be obvious, but but locking yourself the same way that you can kind of lock yourself in to uh, you know a disparity in net worth or wealth with a prenup, you can lock yourself into a fair situation as well and really kind of protect yourself against your future self or your spouse's future self. There are many people who would agree, yeah, you know, we're in this together. Everything we're doing is 50-50 on the front end. Unfortunately, you know, when marriages dissolve, uh, people are no longer in that same headspace and they're much yeah. more likely to act out of anger and think, you know, um, that they should be, you know, shooting for the majority of the assets. And there's also kind of this, this weird thing that I've noticed, even in, you know, good relationships like mine, you know, if you're in a relationship and each of you are doing 50% of the work, 50% of the labor in the relationship, it feels like you're doing 70% of the work, right? Because, <laughs> because we only see what we ourselves are doing. You know, I don't see what my yeah. wife is doing when I'm not around. So it feels it's like I'm taking discount it. Yeah. Right. You know, right. I did the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you didn't, you didn't see me take out the trash. So, right. um, you know, I think that there's, you know, a protective mechanism there. And also, you know, putting in writing, you know, there's something about making it formal, making the process formal. One, you've got something you can look back on and say, hey, you know, we agreed, for example, that we're going to sit down, you know, once a year, we're going to make sure that we've disclosed all of our assets and debts and updates. And we're going to go through an agenda of things and talk about, you know, our spending from last year. And were there any surprises? And, you know, what do we want to plan for next year? Should we put away some money for travel? Or is this year that we, you know, buy an investment property? Um, and having that in writing reduce, you know, reduces or eliminates any confusion about what you agreed to on the front end. But there's also the ceremony of it as well. You know, I mean, we we do, do vows when we get married. We walk down and we pronounce what we want to do in front of everyone that we know. And there is real power in the ceremony of it, the same way as putting something down on paper and, you know, taking ink, you know, to the, the page and putting your signature on it and saying, this is what I'm willing to commit to in writing that I think makes people want to stick to it. Uh, it gives them clarity and they know that, you know, you can't go back on it. You can't change your mind. We've committed to this in writing and, and it's going to be enforceable. Yeah. Sense of protection as well, right? For, for both, for both parties. Um, you talked recently about Michael Jordan's prenup with his wife. I'm curious to hear, can, can you like tell, tell us about that structure a little, but I also want to know, right. If you think that like normal folks, non-famous, non-wealthy people, do they need like a similar sort of prenup or like, uh, yeah. How, how should people think about that? 
They, I think the, the most famous stories are often ones of the rich and famous, but is that what our prenup should kind of look like too? Yeah, yeah. So I will put this caveat out there that, you know, when people hear about the celebrity prenups, you know, that is part of what creates a lot of the misconceptions because you're going to hear it and you're going to think this has nothing to do with me. You know, Michael Jordan has a prenup with his current spouse. He went through his uh, first divorce um, with his with his first wife and paid out a settlement of 178 million dollars, I believe. Ooh, um, a lot of money. It is a, it is a lot of money, and uh, well, I guess he's he's a billionaire. So uh, we're you know we're talking in in terms of percentages, still. He's keeping the majority. Still right? a lot of money. Sure. Still a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it is relative, but you know, 178 million is is a pretty penny, no matter what. And so, with his current spouse, they have a prenup that says, um, you know, for the first you know 10 years of the marriage, uh, if the marriage were to come to an end, she receives a million dollars per year of the marriage, and if the marriage gets to the 10 year mark and goes beyond, then every year of marriage becomes worth five million dollars. Um, and, um, you know, people hear it and they may have some kind of visceral reaction to it. I think it is something that for them was probably fair. It probably works for them, um, because, uh, Michael Jordan gets the knowledge that he is going to have, you know, the protection for, uh, his assets, which, you know, trying to value, uh, interests in Nike and, you know, NBA teams and clothing lines mm -hmm. would be a, a, a nightmare disaster. I mean, you're talking about multi-year litigation that he'd be drawn up in, you know, regardless of the amount of payout that would eventually come. And for his wife, I think she gets some protection of knowing, you know, if anything happens, I'm going to receive enough money that, you know, I can, I can take care of myself. You know, she is giving up you know, kind of her privacy for life by being married to one of the most recognizable athletes on the planet. Sure. And, um, you know, you know, other people may have their own, you know, views on, you know, how much it's worth. And it feels very, you know, so you can feel a little icky because it feels very economic, but it is something that for them gives them both a sense of security that they clearly wanted. And so while that kind of prenup is likely not going to work for you or me. Um, it is something that I think does work for their situation. Okay, let's talk about, I don't want my wife getting hundreds of millions, <laughs> you know, like, although that's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't have that much. Um, Aaron, I wanted to talk about, I guess, the structure of, of prenups because like they're not just about dividing up assets when the divorce papers are signed, right? Like there are other like non-compliance and trigger clauses. There are contingencies that you can include. Can you share some of the different examples? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of look at it in, in three stages. You know, the first is kind of before the marriage. So that's the transparency aspect of putting everything down in a net worth statement. Then you have during the marriage. And then finally, you've got, you know, uh, you could call it end of marriage. I call it the contingency conversations, with my, which might be a euphemism. Um, but during the marriage itself, I think, you know, the first step is to talk about how you're setting up your bank accounts. And, um, you know, not the same thing isn't going to work for every couple, but what I recommend is having kind of three categories or three buckets of accounts, mine, yours, and ours. Um, and, and sitting down and thinking through what qualifies as a joint expense for us, you know, so for most couples, their mortgage or their rent, their utilities, their grocery bill, the meals they eat out together, insurance, um, those things are going to fall, you know, pretty squarely into the hours bucket. And then there are things that, you know, I think can clearly fall into the separate buckets, you know, things that you could pay from your own spending money. So if I go, you know, out and have a meal with my buddies, um, and my wife's not there, that's something I would pay from my own expenses. Um, and, 
Um, what that does for a lot of couples today who are getting married later in life, um, you can know that the joint expenses are being paid, um, but you also maintain some level of autonomy over your own spending and don't feel like every time you stop by Chick-fil-A is being scrutinized by your spouse because it's coming out of <laughs> you know, the joint bank account. Um, and setting things up in that way, I think, can prevent a lot of arguments over things that are otherwise you know, unnecessary. Um, there's a couple different ways that people will do it. Uh, my wife and I do what's called the inside-out plan, where all of the income for the household goes into our joint account initially. And then we each get uh, an allotment or a disbursement from that uh, allowance, if you will, but it's equal amounts for both of us. <laughs> that comes out of that joint account and goes into our separate accounts that we can spend you know, without any oversight of our spouse. Um, and I think that's helpful, you know, in, in, in my situation. Uh, it allows us to do some spending that our spouse might not agree with, you know, without having to worry about it. You know, like I, I like to get my daughter, you know, Nikes, even though she's going to outgrow them, you know, in three months. And my wife probably wouldn't spend the money on those kinds of shoes, but I get to do it because it came out of my money. And my wife has similar things that she would spend that I might see as, you know, potentially frivolous, but she can do it because she's spending it from her money. And then when it comes to the joint account, we have a rule that says neither one of us can spend more than $500 from the joint account without uh, without agreement from the other spouse. Um, and, you know, some people say, oh, you got to get permission, you know, from your wife. And I don't look at it like that. I look at it as a mutual respect thing. You know, if, if I'm spending money from the joint account, that is something that impacts my wife. She needs to know about it. And, you know, rarely are we going to say no, but it is something that we've ingrained into our relationship. You know, this practice, this habit of communication that I think yields benefits uh, in other areas of the relationship as well. And that just yeah. makes sense. I mean, having those larger expenses is kind of like having a couple sets of keys or whatever to like the to the nukes. You know, it's not just up to one person to make the decision. It's like yeah. this impacts a lot more folks. And we make sure need to make sure that there's a review process here. We need to make sure everyone's on board yeah, before, turn your you, keys at the same time. before you simultaneously go over there and, and turn those keys at the same time. Yeah. I think that can be healthy for I, sure. I think one of the other things, Aaron, that really kind of put me more on, on board with, with your argument was, was how much money a prenup can save you. So yeah, a prenup costs money on the front end and you got to go through that pro, uh, setup process. But from everything I've, I've heard, Divorce is just about one of the hardest things you can endure. And even if your marriage ends amicably, it can be it, it can be a really difficult process, even if you're still friend still remain friendly. But how how bad can a divorce be for your finances? And like we're talking about lawyers' fees, uh, stuff like that. And how much is that prenup, although it's uh, you know, cost some money in in the beginning, how much could that potentially save you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked this. Um, you know, the the cost of a prenup. Um, you know, is usually going to be around a few grand. You know, my office does them for, you know, flat fee of 3500 which is pretty going to be pretty standard. Um, and a divorce case lasts, uh, first of all, it lasts on average a year. Uh, that was creeping up to closer to 18 months during the pandemic with some of the delays in the courthouses. Mm -hmm. And the average cost is $15,000 per spouse. That means a lot of people pay a whole lot more than that. So, you know, if you're talking about 30 yeah. grand for a couple, um, you know, and there are certainly cases that go into, you know, the hundreds of thousands. I've worked on a case before where just our client alone paid over a million dollars in fees over the course of four years of litigation. And the way that it kind of works is the more money that you have at the time of the divorce, the more likely, you, you know, your divorce is going to be more expensive itself. Because if you think that, you know, taking your case to court can win you two thirds of the assets instead of half. The more money you have, the more it's worth to spend that money on the lawyers yeah. to get you there. 
Um, and so a lot of people, you know, this is important when it comes to a lot of people say, well, I don't need a prenup because we don't have anything. Well, that's coming into the marriage. What makes the divorce right. expensive is what you've got on the back end, which you can't know, you know, until you get there. And your yeah. goal is probably hopefully not, not to have you're going to have. Yeah, hopefully you're going to continue to yeah. grow your net worth and you will have. Yeah, actually, if you're, like, if you're taking a vow of poverty, <laughs> then maybe you too <laughs> don't need a, a prenup. But OK, uh, another question for you on that front. So when we're talking about lawyers, typically an individual hires a lawyer to represent their interests. The, the, when, when we're talking about a couple who are going into this marriage, they have a lot of the same interests, but they also have individual things to protect. Do they each need to hire their own lawyer to get this, uh, to get this prenup done? So a lawyer can, yeah, a lawyer can only represent one side of a transaction. Um, in most states in the U.S., um, it's not required that the second spouse hire their own lawyer, but they have to have had an opportunity to hire a lawyer. So that means, you know, not doing it at the last minute, making sure that there's money there for both people to hire their own attorney. Um, me personally, I will never discourage um, someone from having a lawyer on the other side of this kind of transaction, because uh, you need to talk about, you know, what your fears are, you know, what keeps you up at night, you know, what worries you when it comes to, um, you know, making these kinds of decisions about what your financial life with your spouse looks like, and have somebody that can advise you just from your point of view. So um, certainly, it should not be adversarial, you don't want to get into a situation where it's a lot of back and forth, you know, most of my clients uh, will kind of, you know, waive their attorney client privilege so that everything that I talk to them about is shared with their spouse, so everything's done out in the open. Um, this ideally should be a collaborative process. Um, you don't want, you know, you don't draft an agreement and hand it to somebody a week before the marriage. Um, that's, you know, icky thing to do. It's not fair, um, and it's not the the right way to start off a relationship that you hope will last forever. Um, but yeah. legally, hey, sign this real quick right before you walk down the aisle. <laughs> right. like not good. Yeah. According to your book, a judge might even deem that to be unconscionable. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> a judge is is likely to throw it out if you try to exactly. play that last minute game. Right. Anyway. All right, Aaron. We got a few more questions to get to uh, with you, including what if you're already married? There's such a thing as postnups. Should should all of us married folks be be considering that? We'll we'll get to questions on that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. No matter how hard of a worker you are, you probably like to kick back, relax, and just chill every now and then. But if you're an investor, that's the last thing you want your money to be doing. You want it to be out there working hard and kicking butt. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Betterment's automated technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help maximize returns. We're talking tools like diversified, expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. 
Keeping those expense ratios low is key to seeing your investments compound over the years and decades. A high-yield cash account where your money can earn 11 times the national average. Listeners know that they need to have an emergency fund set aside for those completely unforeseen expenses. A high-yield cash account is the perfect place to park that money in automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. That way, if certain industries are, say, growing like crazy, your portfolio, it stays on track. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, Life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. We are back from the break. We're talking about how prenups are for lovers. And we are talking with Aaron Thomas. Aaron, in your book, uh, you devote an entire chapter, actually, to uh, the the title of that chapter was Tact, Timing, and Talk. And, uh, you know, prenups, they can obviously be a touchy topic for a a newly in love couple. But what are some ways that they could start talking about prenups without completely ending the relationship? (laughs) Yeah, great question. Um, Yeah, and it's it's an important one, right? Because, you know, we know that if a lot of people go to their their loved one and say, hey, babe, I want a prenup, uh, the reaction might not be the most positive. And so, you know, the advice I give might be a little bit counterintuitive, and but it is don't lead with the word prenup. Um, I think we all can admit that that word carries a lot of, you know, Got a lot, a lot of stigma. weight. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of heavy. Um, but instead, kind of leading with what it is that you want to accomplish. I have found that most people don't object to the the you know the terms of the prenup itself as much as they do the the word prenup or the idea of a prenup. And so, yeah. you know, if you start with kind of the component parts, you know, uh, I think that we should be transparent. I think that we should write down all of our assets and debts and share it with each other. Um, I think that it's a good idea for us to decide how we want to set up our bank accounts and how the money is going to flow, you know, through our joint bank accounts and our separate bank accounts. Um, I think we should have kind of some ground rules for spending and budgeting and saving. Um, uh, you know, can we agree that if either of us wants to go to counseling, that we're going to go to counseling? No questions asked. Um, can we agree on, you know, an annual meeting where we discuss and update our, each other on, you know, our financial lives and make sure that things are still working because you can't just set it and forget it for life. Right. Um, and then, yes, can we talk about, you know, God forbid, if things came to an end, can we agree what would be a fair way 
to you know have our, our our money split up that we decide and that you know keeps us from spending a year or two in a courtroom um, slinging mud at each other and making lawyers rich instead of doing what is best for the two of us. And if you can agree on those kinds of things, then what you're talking about is really the same thing as as getting a prenup, um, even if you know the the word uh, doesn't reflect that in your mind when you first hear it. My you, wife and I can definitely agree on not making lawyers rich. By the way, that's something we can come to <laughs> come together on. Uh, <laughs> as you're talking to a lawyer, right? I know. Sorry, sorry. Uh, well. It, it, one of the things you talk about, too, is to do this sooner rather than later. You kind of touched on this earlier, uh, but kind of explain why this is better to do essentially ahead of time as opposed to after the fact. Yeah, so so there's, there's a couple of reasons. You know, one is it is so much easier when you are talking about uh, potential issues that could come up uh, as a hypothetical. You know, it's much easier to say, okay, you know, um, can we agree that uh, if family members ask for money, that you know we're going to limit it to a thousand dollars, you know, as a contribution, and we both got to agree. Or spending limits, you know, from the joint bank account. Those are easy things to agree to, or easier when they are a concept, rather than when something has you know has happened and it feels punitive because you're saying, oh, you spent five hundred dollars, but from now yeah. on, you can't, you know, you can't touch the joint account without my approval. Um, that tends to be the wrong time to you know have these kinds of discussions. Um, and given you know how important your financial life is to your marriage, I mean, I, I think you guys would probably recognize, given your industry, that you know the the fights over money is one of, if not the biggest reasons that couples break up. And so, you know, yeah. being aligned when it comes to your finances is mission critical to the success of your marriage. And so this is something that has to be done with a lot of forethought. Uh, you've got to give it more time than you do the guest list for your wedding. Um, you know, this deserves the kind of import that you would give any other major decision in your life, like starting a business um, or buying a home. If you agree that getting married is one of the biggest financial decisions you'll ever make, then you've got to, you've got to give it at least as much forethought. All right. So let's talk to the folks out there who are currently married, right? And so neither Matt nor I we have prenups in in our marriages and with our wives. Is that is that something like it's called the postnup, right? So is that something that more people should be considering? And how do you approach that? Because that seems like it's maybe an even more delicate conversation, especially since we just like my wife and I just celebrated 13 years. That's a long time. Kind of considering everything equal for ourselves. Do we need to put something down in writing? How do you talk to people who are, are currently married about this idea? Yeah, there's there's a few instances when people uh, will consider getting a postnup. Um, you know, the first kind is, is kind of simple. You know, somebody who wanted to get a prenup, but they maybe got caught up in wedding planning or they drug their feet a little bit and, you know, it snuck up on them. And so they are doing it after the date of the wedding. That's still, you know, considered a postnup. There are other situations where people, um, so to speak, read the contract of marriage years into their marriage and they realize that they've been living a way that is different than the law would treat their finances. So, you know, there are couples who have who've gotten married and decided, okay, you know, I, you know, had a rental property coming in and you had a house coming in and I'm going to pay for my property and you're going to pay for your property and we're going to keep those things separate. And then they're married for a, a little while and they recognize that 
a court is not going to honor that kind of informal agreement between the spouses and they want to just go ahead and put it in place um, or protect each other from debts or when you know one spouse has a business and they want to make sure that that's kind of outside of the marital estate both in terms of you know the value of it as well as the debts or potential liabilities of it um, and there are some couples who um, you know they're on the ropes um, and they want to give it another go but they've had financial issues that are part of their problem and they want to correct it with a prenup that defines you know, kind of their access to money so they're not in that kind of situation where one spouse makes 200 grand and the other one has a 300 allowance. They want to fix some of the problems that have gotten them to this space um, while also saying, all right, if things don't work out, can we agree now what's fair while we've still got some communication and some trust alive so that we don't end up in a situation like we've all seen some of our friends go through where, you know, things devolve and all of a sudden they're not speaking to each other and everything is going through the lawyer and those hourly rates are starting to stack up, uh, not to mention the impact on kids and family and your lives and the stress mm -hmm. and everything else that comes from it. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Better to do it ahead of time, but better late than never, it sounds like, is, is what you're saying, Aaron. So there seems to be more cost-effective ways to actually go about getting a prenup these days. Um, are prenups just generally more accessible? Are, are they just easier to facilitate? Have laws changed? Or is it because different services are coming around like yours, right? Where folks can easily find uh, a prenup attorney. It's like somebody who specializes in the, cre the creation of these. I would love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think you nailed it with, with that, that last one where uh, because they have risen so much um, in popularity and people are more interested in getting them, there are a lot more attorneys who are starting to specialize in them. You know, before, you know, 15 years ago, the average uh, family law attorney would probably do 50 to 100 divorce cases for every one prenup that they would do. And so they just weren't seen as very profitable. You know, you make a lot more money off of a divorce than you do off of a prenup. Um, and people just didn't have a lot of experience with them. So it, it took people longer to give people what they wanted. Um, and over the years, we've started to figure out, you know, what are the best ways to help couples set up their finances? And what are the kinds of things that couples want to see in their agreement so we can do it a lot more efficiently? Um, and as a result, it's a lot more accessible to people. All right. Question. So I know on, on some things like a will, right? You could handwrite a will and you don't even necessarily have to have it notarized as long as you have a couple of witnesses, right? And then that will is is legally enforceable, right? You can submit that in a court of law. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to that, I know. But like, could you do the same with a prenup? Is it possible? Do you need necessarily the services of a lawyer? And I don't want to sound overly cheap, but I guess I'm curious to know, <laughs> Like, have you seen people DIY a prenup, write it down in like magic marker on construction paper and have that actually work out for them? Or is it like, no, you definitely need a, a third party to help you figure this out? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, During my legal career, you know, I've probably done more than a thousand divorce cases and I've seen plenty of DUIY prenups, and they're almost always legally insufficient, uh, unenforceable. Oh, okay. So, you know, I think one of the differences with a prenup in a will is, you know, if your will is written poorly, you can always redo it later. Whereas, you know, you, you get one shot to do the prenup correctly. I mean, yes, you can get a post-nup later on down the line. But the problem is a lot of people don't know that it's not enforceable until they need to actually enforce it. 
and they're in front of a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's risky. You know, I don't want to pay lawyers. I'm a lawyer myself. And I don't want to pay lawyers any more <laughs> than I have to. But when I need something done correctly, then I, you know, I go hire a lawyer myself that is an expert in that thing. Um, you know, you can, you know, if you want to do some of the legwork, you can, you can, read the book and learn kind of some of the steps to make it easier um, for the lawyer that you approach. Or if you draft something on your own, I think you would be well advised to at least take it to an attorney, pay that attorney for one hour of their time and tell them to look it over Mm. and make sure that the basics uh, have at least been covered. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Uh, get that professional review at the very least. Joel, don't just scribble it down <laughs> on a Chick-fil-A napkin. But, uh, okay, Eric, last question for you. As a d- divorce lawyer, aside from getting a prenup, uh, <laughs> what is your, your best piece of advice, uh, in your opinion, to uh, keep a marriage healthy, to keep it alive and str- growing and just thriving, basically? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've given a lot of thought to this myself because I am a lawyer who desperately wants to stay married myself. And, you know, there's a lot of debate over like what causes the most breakdowns in relationships. Some people say it's money. Some people say it's infidelity. Um, I think that, you know, at its core, the root cause of most divorces is a breakdown in communication. That leads to the erosion of trust. It leads to secrecy. And so um, creating kind of a framework for your relationship where communication is your default, whether it's about expenses, whether it's about going to therapy, whether, you know, it's about, you know, what your needs are in your family life. Um, You know, you can't go wrong with putting an emphasis on communication in your marriage. I love it. Yeah, it's a good way to wrap things up. Looking like a happily married man right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Where can uh, our audience, where can they go find out more about you, more about uh, creating uh, a prenup that makes sense for them? Yeah, if if you want to learn more, um, you can check out my website. It is prenups.com. Um, there's lots of free resources, you know, free ebook on there. Um, and obviously you can go to Amazon and you can get my new book, The Prenup Prescription, which goes into much more detail. That's right. Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me on. It's been an honor. All right, Matt, that's, that, was a, that was a really interesting combo with, with Aaron Thomas uh, talking about a topic that you and I were probably reticent to touch in a lot of ways. And when people have asked us in the we've past, touched, we've touched on it before in the we past, have. but not, we haven't, I guess, taken it on this straightforward. Yeah. Uh, this set on. And most of the time when we get asked about it, we're a little more hesitant to say it's a good idea. Like we, we want to kind of, we, we realize it is a necessity, a necessity for some folks, but it's also something that we're, we hesitate to be like, give the Joel and Matt had a money seal of approval. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess what was your big takeaway from this combo? <laughs> There's a lot, I guess, that, that I'm thinking of right now. But as you're talking, I guess what comes to mind is the fact, like, the, I think one of the reasons I've been hesitant personally is it is difficult for me to w- say, oh, yeah, this is a great idea, even though I personally don't do that, mm. right? And so even though I know well, that there are situations... Do it, but... Oh, I, I didn't, and I, I still don't think I will, though. That's the thing. Like, even after after talking with him, like, well, you know, will Kate and I go and get a, get a post-nup? I don't think we will, but that doesn't mean that it's not right for some folks, right? Yeah. At the root of uh, a lot of what he's basically talking about, like I like at the end, he talked about communication. And so much of what he is discussing and so much of what goes into a prenup is actual communi- communicating. It's figuring out those goals. It is 
well, if this happens, what happens then? It's essentially a great, like it's budgeting, right? Like he's talking about, oh, I've got my money, she's got her money, and we have our money, the joint money. And he's talking about his, the freedom he has to be able to go and go out with some friends or buy some Nikes for his daughter. But it's adding a layer of legal protection. Yes, but there are ways that you can do that within a, a budget. Like that's budgeting. That's coming up with a plan for your money. But like you said, yes, it puts it within the framework. It puts it within the package of it being legally enforceable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I've come around, and I totally, uh, even though I did not get a prenup, I think it, it is something I would suggest people strongly think about, and I think the the biggest two reasons are the the fact that it can save you a lot of money and a lot of heartache uh, on, on the back end of things if things don't go as you hope and plan, and, and the other thing is just that you kind of have a prenup based on your state laws, and those state laws are different all over the place. And you know whether it's it's a community property state or whether you live in a state where a judge gets to kind of decide the details of how things are divvied up, you 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 might prefer to have some say over that on the front end than leaving it to chance. So, I guess I have kind of come around to to kind of Aaron's way of thinking on this one. Uh, my my biggest takeaway though was on approach. And if you're going to talk about having a prenup, so much you're you're going getting married to this person because you love them, and so you need to approach a conversation about uh, a prenup with care and with love. And and so if you're going to have this conversation, if you're going to go in this direction, certainly make sure you're treating that person. You're you're not being defensive, being selfish, trying to protect yourself. You're trying to protect both parties. Uh, in, in this whole endeavor. Yeah. And you said it's helpful to not use the word prenup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but instead to focus on the goals and again, just all the other things that you're trying to accomplish with the prenup, but maybe don't necessarily leave with right. the term pre- <laughs> prenup, which can be such a loaded term. But uh, yeah, awesome. Let's get back to the beer then. You and I enjoyed a Southern Hemisphere. This is a Pilsner by Second Street Brewery. What are your thoughts on this one? This one was clean, light, and fluffy is what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. So I... Slightly on the bitter side. Like yeah. I feel like some Pilsners are either slightly neutral or maybe even a tiny bit sweet, whereas I feel like this one, it kind of leaned slightly more in that... In that bitter side. Yeah. That being said, I just had a sweet apple uh, on, my, <laughs> on my walk right after lunch. And so I was wondering, is this having an impact on how I perceive this beer? Yeah. Perhaps. But it's, very, it's got some biscuity vibes going on, I'll say, too. Very refreshing. Great one. This is actually, this is another beer that was donated to the show by Bob out there in New Mexico. So, again, thank you so much for sending this one our way. Yeah. Appreciate you, Bob. Is that going to be it for this episode? That'll do it. We'll All put right, links, links in, in our show notes up on our site at howtomoney.com, including a link to Aaron's book. If you're like, I want to deep dive on this subject now, this nerdy legal (laughs) topic of prenups we'll put that up there on the site but matt that's going to do it for this one until next time best friends out best friends out Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. 
Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.